You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Almighty God, we ask that you would make your Son present to us here tonight by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Before I begin, I'd love to recommend to you the last Lenten lunch sermon that was preached this morning by the Reverend Dr. Tyshawn Gardner, who is now a full professor at Beeson Divinity School. What I am going to say tonight is the other side of the same coin. So it works out perfectly. If you hear him and you hear what I'm going to say, well, I think it really is an entire quarter. This morning, he gave you one 80s movie. Tonight, I'm going to give you another. He talked about the great Rocky Four. You remember where Sylvester Stallone single-handedly takes down the Soviet Union. I'm here tonight to talk about Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan the Trek movie par excellence. I didn't get many laughs, so I guess, I guess we're all Star Wars fans. But if you, out of some unhealthy allegiance to Star Wars, just have to be a Star Trek hater, remember, everyone and their mother loves the wrath of Khan. Paul's all gave you a whole bunch of movies to watch. Dr. Gardner and I are giving you two more. But in The Wrath of Khan, there is this great battle with one of the best villains in film history. All right, now he's gone too far. In the movie, the USS Enterprise is badly damaged. In a suicidal act, Khan has activated a device that functions as a nuclear bomb in space. With the Enterprise's warp drive impaired, there is no escape. Everyone on the ship is going to die. But just when we think that all hope is lost, Spock, the Vulcan, the intelligent one, he has a plan. He does what no one else thought of and what no one wanted to do. He runs into the radiation-infested warp room, and with the last ounce of his strength, he repairs it and saves the day. Spock stoops. He gives his life for those whom he loved. And in the penultimate scene, Spock, separated by glass from Kirk, says, I have been and always will be your friend. Thank you, thank you. (laughs) By the end of the movie, maybe you're not this way, but I was as weepy as Captain Kirk. I am much more like Kirk than I am like Spock. 
I say that because I don't like doing hard things. I rarely make sacrifices for others. I'm not saying that because I'm proud of it. I'm just giving you the facts. And yet, these are the words, Jesus' words, to his disciples. On the night before his crucifixion, he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. On Monday Thursday, we celebrate the institution of the Eucharist and the occasion of Jesus' washing of the disciples' feet. Both the foot washing and the Eucharist are interpretations of the events of Good Friday. The events we'll see tomorrow, but the foot washing and the Eucharist, they interpret it for us. Now, this is evident, right, in Holy Communion. This is my body. This is my blood shed for you. But it's also true of the foot washing narrative. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, Ben, are you just making something up out of clear blue sky? Think again. Biblical interpreters over the millennia have maintained that the foot washing story is a picture of the passion of the Christ. Here are the words of our queen, the Reverend Fleming Rutledge. When the Lord gets up from the table, puts on the loincloth of a slave, and kneels at the feet of his disciples, he does it first and foremost to teach his disciples the meaning of his death. The primary meaning is that the Son of God is stooping down from his heavenly throne to wash us clean from our transgressions. The primary meaning is that the Lord of the universe is preparing to undergo utmost humiliation in order to purify us from the contamination of sin. The primary meaning is that the eternal word which was in the beginning with God has become flesh, not only to dwell among us full of grace and truth, but also to love us and to serve us to the outermost limit, even to death on the cross. If you have a pulse, your life may have just changed. It is, of course, significant that after washing their feet, Jesus says, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. However, as she's at pains to emphasize, the foot-washing story is chiefly in the words of the great commentator of John, Edwin Hoskins, a parable of the humiliation of the Son of God. It is in the words of C.K. Barrett, another incredible New Testament scholar. It, 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 repres it, it represents the cleansing by blood and water to come on Good Friday. And Raymond Brown, that great Roman Catholic biblical scholar, writes, the laying aside of his garments foreshadows the laying down of his life. Now, I know 
you at this church, you're big fans of the sermon as Bible study. That's not usually my thing, but we're going to go over it tonight in that way because I'm not convinced that I've convinced you. Again, from the earliest days of the church, preachers and theologians have been at pains to emphasize that this is a picture of the death of Jesus. And if you would whip out your bulletin, you'll see. So if you've got your bulletin, whip it out. You'll see that John the Evangelist begins this story, which Kathy read so well, by saying this. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Right off the bat, John is telling us, this is the the Passover. Jesus knows that he is about to depart from the world. He is about to go to his cross. This is how John places the story in its proper context before he tells it. Now fast forward to the conversation between Jesus and Peter. It's verse 6. Peter says, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not know now, but afterward you will understand. This exchange between Jesus and Peter betrays that there's a whole lot more to the foot washing than Jesus merely telling them to go and do likewise. If that's all he was doing, the disciples would have no trouble understanding what he said. The primary meaning of the action, however, is its relation to Jesus' self-offering, which will not become clear until after his death and resurrection. Hence, you do not know what I am doing now. So Peter, whom we love, misunderstanding completely as usual, says, verse 8, you shall never wash my feet. And I love that Kathy really emphasized that never, because for all of you two Greek scholars out there, you know that that word is a very strong negation. This is, think back to the transfiguration of Jesus, right after or right before, depending on your gospel. Jesus, or Peter rebukes Jesus for saying that he must die. And do you remember what follows? Jesus calls him Satan. This is a very similar scenario. Peter unknowingly is tempting Jesus not to go to the cross for him. He's saying, I don't need it. You will never wash me. Jesus answers him, If I do not wash you, you have no part in me. Here, the symbolic significance of the foot washing becomes apparent. We're taken back to what what John the Baptist called Jesus at the beginning of this gospel. What does he call him? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Finally, end of Bible study. In verse 10, Jesus goes on to say, he who has bathed does not need to wash 
He is clean all over. Another translation, he who has been cleansed by me is clean all over. Friends, do you see it? Jesus has taken away the sins of the world and you and I, having offered nothing, are clean. This story is no longer a bummer. This is good news. In the words of the colic that Craig prayed right before the readings, it is a pledge of eternal life. And we receive this pledge, this guarantee, every Maundy Thursday. What's more, we experience this promise every time we partake of the Lord's Supper. This Easter Triduum, which just means the next three days. Don't forget that the institution of the Eucharist and the story of the foot washing point to the cross. We all need to be washed. And in Christ, God stooped. He loved us to the end. And we are clean all over. As we're drawn into the Holy Week drama over the next couple days, we will witness how he entered into the darkness in our place. And those of us who don't like to do hard things may just find that it makes us willing to make sacrifices for others. We may discover that we're inclined to love because he first loved us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.